Okay. Well, when we come to Song of Songs, uh, this book is very interesting. Uh, sometimes, perhaps, we might wonder what on earth is going on. Uh, and sometimes you may think, sometimes, does the Bible, is it really saying what I think it's saying here? And I think it's a, a definitely a, a book which is relevant for today. We live in a very uh, sex-obsessed culture. Uh, sex is rarely off the news, uh, whether that be recently uh, sexual abuse scandals or extramarital affairs. Sex is used to sell products. Uh, and there's been, the, obviously, the proliferation uh, of pornography recently uh, since it's become available online. And that's been enormous in ruining the lives of those who watch it and of those who have to perform in it. And we live in an age of phone apps where you're unable uh, to just hook up with people for sex. We live in an age where marriage is decreasing, uh, cohabitation is increasing. Uh, and you may be wondering, well, what is wrong with all of this? But we see the effects of what is wrong uh, with the broken lives that have been damaged when God's design for sex has been abandoned. Perhaps the world's view of sex can be seen in what the world sings about it. And I did intend uh, to uh, sing a few songs, uh, but I thought I'd save you uh, the pain of that. Uh, and I did intend to look up some songs, but I've got covenant eyes on my computer and realized that if I was to look up some of the songs, uh, then I'd be getting emails sent to different people who would be asking me, what are you looking at, Steve? But just a few, um, uh, a couple of songs that um, recently have been in the charts that I think uh, sum up a little bit of uh, the world's thinking about sex. There's one uh, that, um, I mean, young people, are, in fact, are always laughing at me. Because they think I know nothing, don't you, about music? Well, this is in the charts. I'm, I'm relevant right now. Uh, so this one is, um, uh, some, this is the lyric. Sometimes uh, I want to kiss girls, girls, girls. Uh, in fact, sung by a girl or a woman. Uh, so that can be seen as I want to do uh, what I want with as many people as I can. Uh, there's another one. Uh, if it feels like paradise running through your veins... You know it's love heading your way. In other words, if it feels good, then it must be right, okay? Or perhaps my uh, personal uh, favorite, uh, this, this lyric kind of shows uh, how uh, the Song of Songs is just, just better. Uh, I really, 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 really like you. And I chose this because I like you is used so much today, and I've told my girls, if any guy ever comes up to you and, and is the best he can do is say, I like you, just respond with, well, I like pizza. You know, it's just, guys, we've got to do better than that, right? But the Bible sings a different song. It sings a different song about sex. And in fact, in the Bible, there's a whole song, Solomon's Song of Songs, which sings about the joys of sexual love. But what we're going to see as we look at this song is that it's different from the world's songs. In fact, this song is called the Song of Songs. When the Bible uses the phrase something of something, it means it's the best or the highest. So in the Bible, we have the Holy of Holies, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and so on. So this is the greatest of songs. The greatest song in the Bible, the greatest song that has ever been written. 
And it's the greatest because it speaks of a greater love than anything that this world has to offer. The Christian response to the sexual immorality in the world around us has often been to go to the other extreme altogether. The the church uh, can be accused of having portrayed sex as something that is dirty, something that we must not talk about, something which is so worldly that it cannot be something that is godly, and it's been a bit of a taboo. And we've gone to the total other end of the spectrum. But the God of the Bible is the God who created sex. And sexuality is a major part of the human experience and something that God, as our creator, is interested in. After all, he designed it. And this song plays a crucial part in the Bible as a whole because the one who created sex both encourages us and warns us about the enormous powers that it has in our lives. Sexual love in the Song of Songs is presented as something that's beautiful, something that's exciting, and something that is inherently good that God created. But also it is presented as something that has boundaries, as something which in our fallen world has difficulties as well. The Bible's message about sex can be summed up not by no sex, but rather better sex. Sex as the designer intended it should be. It's not presented here as something that's dirty, as something that's selfish, but rather in Song of, uh, Solomon's Song of Songs, we have an invitation to intimacy. All that said, when we read this book, especially together as a congregation, things become strangely awkward, don't they? Uh, Perhaps as we talk about things that we don't usually talk about. And I think as we read this book together as a church family, our Heavenly Father has given us the talk, perhaps. All of you fathers and mothers know what the talk is and the awkwardness that perhaps uh, that is when we have to first go and explain these things to our children. But part of the reason it, it may seem a bit awkward is because of the fact we are fallen humans And we're no longer in the place of creation where we are naked without shame. And so we snigger when Song of Songs talks about navels, breasts, and belly buttons. In fact, what Song of Songs intends to do for us is to bring us back to a place within our marriages and within our relationship with God where we are naked and without shame. But this also applies to those who are not married. Maybe some of you have come this morning and think, oh, if it was Song of Songs, I would have stayed at home because I'm not married and I'm never perhaps going to be married. But this song is for all of us, for those who want to be married, for those who might be married, for those who will never be married. This song gives us aspirations and expectations for married life, but more than this, it applies to how we all relate to God. We don't, of course, have a sexual relationship with God, but as we'll see in this song, and as we've seen in Ephesians, marriage shadows the relationship between Christ and his church. And so this morning, we're going to look at the book as a whole, 
And then in the evening services, go through the song, starting with tonight. And this morning, as we overview the book, I want to ask three questions about this song. What kind of song is this? What is it about? And then finally, why do we need to sing this song? So first of all, what kind of song is this? The Song of Songs is love poetry. It is not a story. It is not a book of commands, nor is it teaching us doctrine, although much doctrine can be drawn from it. It's important to understand, therefore, that this is poetry, and so it contains metaphor. Metaphors are words or phrases that are not literally true, but they represent something. We understand this, what this means when we think of any love song, in fact. When Frank Sinatra sings, fly me to the moon, we don't go and put on our spacesuits, do we? We know what he means in the song. And so as with all poetry, we need to think through the meaning of metaphor. When the lover tells his beloved in chapter 1 verse 9 that he likens her to a mare, or in chapter 4 verse 1 that your hair is like a flock of goats, we need to understand what those metaphors mean. It's not advisable to pick up Song of Songs and get chat-up lines. In fact, if you did that, you might get into trouble. So it's a love song. But also, it's part of the Bible that is in the wisdom literature. We have Job and Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. And they're all grouped together in our Bibles. They all deal with wisdom in different ways. One writer has said, it has been suggested that as Job explores the riddle of suffering and Ecclesiastes the riddle of existence, so the Song of Songs explores the riddle of love. The fact that it's wisdom literature is perhaps why it is called Solomon's Song of Songs. Because the first verse, if you read it there, is, it says Solomon's Song of Songs. And this can be translated various ways, actually. It may mean that it was written by Solomon. It's the song written by Solomon. But you could also translate it as the song of songs about or concerning Solomon. We cannot know for sure whether he wrote it or not. There are arguments for and against. But he was a man known for wisdom. And who, in 1 Kings chapter 4, tells us this. And the the verse is on the screen. He spoke about 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,000. Or 1,005, in fact. He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. So if Solomon didn't write it, it is linked to him as a wisdom song. And within the song, there's plenty of plant life being spoken of in which these verses tell us Solomon was an expert in. So it's love poetry, it is wisdom literature, and lastly on this point, it is one song. This is not like the book of Psalms, which contains lots of different songs, written over a number of years. There is a a unity to this song, it's one unified piece of poetry, and it's a song with different verses, but with one common theme which is this relationship between a man and a woman. Some people do see a storyline in the book, 
But it's best to see it and apply it as one song about a love relationship that has lots of different verses. It does, however, seem to build up to the marriage consummation. There are 111 verses before and after the sexual intimacy found in chapter 4, verse 16 to chapter 5, verse 1. So there seems to be a a building up to the marriage and then marriage life together, but you can't really, I think, see a story going through. So that is uh, what kind of song it is. The second question, what is this about? Well, this is an area where historically there has been a lot of disagreement. There are some who have interpreted this song as an allegory. An allegory is where each phrase or picture has a hidden meaning. It stands for something else. Uh, Those who are familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, that's an allegory. Every character represents something. Or Ephesians chapter 6, where uh, Paul writes about the armor of God, that's an allegory. Each piece represents something. But this has led to some very weird and different things that these verses might mean. So throughout history, people have said that this is a picture of God's relationship with his people and has nothing to do with sex at all. And everything that's written means something about God and his people. So the kisses in chapter 1, verse 2, well, they're the Bible. The navel or waist is a reference to the Sanhedrin. The breasts are the Old and New Testament, or Moses and Aaron. It brings a whole new meaning to studying the Bible, doesn't it? Sometimes this approach has been used in order to avoid talking about sex, which has sometimes been wrongly viewed as dirty. But at the same time, there is a higher meaning, which marriage points to. And as we'll see in a moment, uh, this is the deeper meaning that this book has, but it doesn't mean that it is an allegory. The danger of allegorizing is, and saying it has nothing to do with human sexuality is that we attach our own meaning to this Bible text. And the meaning that's attached is usually not found anywhere else in Scripture. Kisses nowhere else means the Bible, for example. We've got to allow the song to speak for itself. So how should we approach this song of songs? Well, as you read the song, at first level, this is about love and sex and marriage. There is a relationship between a man and a woman here. And there are lots of other characters going in this song as well. There are the friends. In the NIV, it uses friends, but others uh, call them the daughters of Jerusalem. There are other, um, so there are uh, the man, the woman, there are the friends. And the friends, by the way, are used often as a, like a sounding board uh, for this couple or people that, young women that they give advice to as well. But there are other characters. There are brothers. There are watchmen. And then there's the character of Solomon himself. Some think that Solomon is, is the lover in this song. Uh, but others think that he's a separate character Altogether, It's not definite that Solomon is the lover. In fact, he's not always presented in a very positive light. At the end of the song in chapter 8, he's trying to buy love with money, for example. But it's worth mentioning an important note on characters here. When the song was written, 
there weren't any of the character designations that you'll find in your Bible. So if you look at your Bibles, you'll find in, um, I'm reading here from the NIV, uh, after the first verse, you've got Solomon's Song of Songs, and then you have uh, she is written there. And then you see that later on there's friends, and then there is he. Those are uh, to, des- to, to show people who is speaking. But when the Bible, uh, the song was written, those uh, references to who is speaking were not there. And so different translations, for example, the, the NIV and the ESV, of, of which are translations I know people here uh, use regularly, they don't even agree on who is speaking when. So it can be all very uh, confusing. But when I'm preaching this in the evening services, uh, to let you know where I'm thinking these things fall, uh, I'll let you know as we go. And it might be better, actually, to read it without the names there. Uh, and when you read it for yourself, try and work it out who you think is speaking. But to help us in the evening, uh, it, hopefully it'll be fun to do this, but I'm going to have different married couples, starting tonight with Paula and I, reading the poem to each other, and then the congregation joining in as the friends to see uh, how, uh, when I'm preaching it, that is going to flow. Hopefully that makes sense. But if it doesn't, you can hear it tonight. And hopefully uh, we can do that without laughing at each other. Anyway. But fundamentally, the, the focus of the poem is the love relationship between a man and a woman. It presents love and sex as it should be, as God designed it to be, like it was in the beginning. Uh, Genesis 2 actually contains the first ever song about love, sex, and marriage. Adam had named all the animals, and he had not found a suitable helper, and so God made a woman from Adam's rib. And when Adam saw this woman, he he sang what could be described as the first ever love song. We read it in our Bible reading this morning. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And I don't, I don't think the, the way that we read that or translate that can really portray the great joy that Adam has as he sees the woman, Eve, his, 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 who will be his wife very shortly. There's great joy. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He's not seen anything like this before. He looks at her. Uh, he's amazed and he's blown away by what God has given to him. And then God links this to marriage in the next verses in Genesis 2. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So Adam and Eve were married. They left their father and mother and they became one flesh. And notice in verse 25, this is the key Uh, to really understanding where Song of Songs wants to take us. They were naked and they felt no shame. This is the ideal state of the marriage relationship. A husband that is totally blown away by his wife, his helper. And both of them naked with no shame. Well, that was lost in the fall when Adam and Eve sinned. Clothing was made to cover nakedness, and the relationship between man and woman was cursed. So Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, this is uh, the curse to the woman. 
I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Your painful la- in, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So here what this means is the woman will desire to be either inappropriately pleasing to the man or to manipulate him, and he will want to rule over, not with the tender leadership, but with a domineering forcefulness. And in the Song of Songs, we are seeing, in part, a reversing of this and a return to Eden. But as we see, it's only to a degree because the song contains some of the tension between this married couple that exists outside of the garden. And we can see, in part, that the Song of Songs is thinking about Eden because all through the book, there's loads of garden imagery, loads of fruits and, uh, and vines and all sorts of things that you would only find in a, a well-cultivated and beautiful garden. So this song is married love as it should be. And with this in mind, I want us to look at a few places in this song, which I think gives us three big themes that are important to see. And first of all, there's the theme, big theme of desire. So the woman in this song desires this man. She wants to make love to her lover, and the man desires to be with his beloved. There is a real longing to be together, especially uh, during times of absence. So look at uh, chapter 1, and let me read verses 2 to 4. Notice the desire. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And then just turn over to chapter 2, verses 10 to 13. This now is the, that was the woman to the man. This now is an example of the man to the woman. My beloved spoke to me and said, and this is the man now speaking, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come with me, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. So he's calling her. Uh, We'll see uh, this when we get to it. But he's calling her away from where she is to come away with him. Uh, to be with him, to go to the countryside with him, which is the place uh, in this poem of intimacy. So there is deep desire. This couple are crazy about each other. But there is also devotion. This is deeper than than just sex. The way they describe each other uh, is is in in poetic detail, but it, it is explicit poetic detail. Now, just look at uh, chapter 4, for example, uh, verses 10 to 15. This is describing uh, the devotion that they have for one another, uh, but also uh, describing that devotion in the terms of the sexual relationship. Uh, How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume. More than any spice. 
Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree, with myrrh and aloes, and all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. So he's describing her with this beautiful uh, love language uh, as, a, as a beautiful garden, but it's showing his devotion to her. It's, not, it's more than just desiring sex. It's a, a, a deep love and devotion for this woman that he has. But look at how she feels about him. Chapter 5 and from verse 10, if you want to turn there. She feels this way about him. She's asked at this point, uh, in, just look at verse 9 actually, how is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you so charge her? So she's asked him at this point, um, to, uh, can you help me look for him? Because she's lost him. And then they ask her to describe him. And look at this description of her man. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory, decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble, set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. So there's a a great devotion to one another, a great love for one another that we see in this song. And it's a deep love that they have. Uh, They also, uh, in in terms of devotion, are in an exclusive relationship. Look at chapter 7 and verse 10. This verse is uh, a refrain that comes in the poem a, a few times. I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. There's a A belonging together. It's a a deep devotion uh, to one another. They belong together and they desire one another. So there's desire uh, throughout this poem. There is devotion. And then there is finally uh, deep satisfaction. Uh, The first half of this book, uh, or this song rather, is a a build-up to the consummation of their marriage Uh, There's 111 uh, verses in the Hebrew before uh, what we read as chapter 4, verse 16 to chapter 5, verse 1, and 111 verses after. It it builds up and follows after this central point, which is the the consummation of their marriage. And if you look at chapter 4 and verse 16, uh, I'll read just that in chapter 5, verse 1. This is the center of the poem. So he... uh, has just described her with all this beautiful language. Uh, And then she says, Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden, that is, that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. 
I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. Eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. And so here we have the the center of this song. And we see here the deep satisfaction that they have as they give their bodies to one another. This is deeper, though, than, than just sex in this whole song. This poem describes a relationship. The song speaks of both physical and emotional satisfaction on every level. Listen to what she says in chapter 8, verse 6. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. So her love here is described as as, as stronger than even death. And it's described as a burning fire or a mighty flame, uh, for which some translate as the flame of the Lord. In other words, it's a a holy, godly passion uh, for her man. But at the same time as showing this desire and devotion and deep satisfaction, this song also shows the effect of the fall upon our relationships. There is in this poem times of longing and searching. There is times of separation and times of great misunderstanding. So it's not perfect. It's not, we're not in Eden. We're not in new creation. But there is a longing and a searching which shows that we're in the, the place of the, of the not perfect, the not, the not yet of this relationship. However, there is another level to this song. For those of you who will never marry, for those of you who are perhaps not even interested in marriage, this song is for you as well. And although many older commentators avoided uh, sex completely, they were not totally off track. Often in the Old Testament, marriage has been a picture of the relationship between God and his people. If you're taking notes, I'm not going to read these because of the sake of time, Uh, But if you write down a reference here, Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 1 to 14, and Hosea chapter 2, and verses 14 to 20, those are Old Testament examples of how God uses marriage to picture the relationship between him and his people Israel. In fact, the Ten Commandments are a little bit like a marriage covenant, where God and his people make an agreement to be together and, to, and, and have that covenant, which is a lot like the marriage covenant that we make as husband and wife. But this also translates to the New Testament. The New Testament clearly teaches us that sex and marriage are an earthly picture of a much greater reality, that of the relationship between Jesus and his church. So Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. But all of the Old Testament, which includes the Song of Songs, ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus. 
After the resurrection, Luke tells us about Jesus meeting two disciples on the road to Emmaus who did not recognize him. And Jesus opened up the scriptures and taught them. And this is what Luke says he did. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. Jesus showed how all of the scriptures pointed to him. And all the scriptures include Song of Songs. And although even the name of God might not even be mentioned here, some people argue chapter 8 verse 6 says uh, about the flame of the Lord, but it does ultimately point to Jesus. The Old Testament's not, by the way, some kind of Where's Wally book where we have to try and find the hidden Jesus in the Old Testament. Rather, we interpret the Old Testament in the light of the New And so the desire and the devotion and the deep satisfaction that we find in this song is also true of our relationship with God. The sexual union of husband and wife shadows the union that exists between Jesus and his people, the church, the bride of Christ. And so when we apply this song within marriage, we can also apply it to our relationship with Jesus. I should be joyfully desiring my wife and having eyes only for her, but so too must I have that for Jesus. He has desired me, he has sought me, he has found me, and we have that relationship. Truly we can say of Christ, I am his and he is mine. We should desire Jesus. I should be devoted to my wife. Seeking to please her, seeking to love her, to love being with her. But so too must I be devoted to Christ, to to love him with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. And how devoted is he to us? He loves us by laying down his life for us on the cross to pay for our sin. I should find deep satisfaction in the wife that God has given me. But so too can I find deep satisfaction in Jesus. Jesus came to give us life to the full. Only in following him do we have deep satisfaction because only Jesus, the God who made us, can truly satisfy us. But more even than that, more than husband and wife, And Jesus and church in the here and now, there is a future sense to this song as well. It takes us back to Eden, but we know we're not going back to Eden. We know that we'll never be there and we'll never be without sin and without all the problems that come even within the marriage relationship this side of heaven. In heaven... There will be no marriage between men and women, but there will be a wedding. In Revelation, we read this. It says uh, before this um, on the screen, it says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and the loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give, glo- give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, 
and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. All the desire, the devotion, and the deep satisfaction in Jesus, this side of heaven, will not be complete. But on our wedding day, our wedding day as a church, when we are joined to Jesus as his spotless bride, all will be well. And on that day, when we see him as he is, and he will see us as we are, he will delight in us, and it will be pure joy for all eternity, naked but not ashamed. Revelation 22, in fact, describes the place where we will be with God. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Just two things to notice here. Notice the garden imagery. We go from the Garden of Eden to the gar- a garden city here. So it's a, a, a place that's a wonderful, a wonderful garden of, of pure uh, joy. But notice, no longer will there be any curse. The curse is gone. And so all the problems that we have this side of heaven, even as Christians, all that will be gone, be no more. And we'll be with our husband, Jesus, forever serving him. Now, uh, a word to men. It might seem strange to you to think of yourself as the, the bride of Christ. But we've been telling our women to think of themselves as sons of God for many years. It's uh, something we need to, to get used to. And as we uh, go through Song of Songs and as we apply it to this, men, just get used to it. You are the bride of Christ along with the women of the church. We are all, as the church, his bride. And Jesus is um, our most wonderful and glorious husband uh, and will be forever. Now, some of us uh, will never be married. Some will go through this life never experiencing the human intimacy shown in this book. But know this. This closest of unions between two people on earth is a shadow of which the substance is far greater. No one person who, for the glory of God, forgoes the intimacy on earth will in heaven regret that they didn't have it here. Rather, in heaven, all who obey God will be eternally glad of their obedience to the will of God in this area. There's going to be no regrets in heaven. Why didn't you give me this, God? Rather, there'll be joy in having followed him. And the reality of what the sexual relationship pictures will be far greater than what the shadow is. So, that's what uh, the book is about. But um, as we close, it'd be good to just think, finally, why do we need to sing this song? This song is for all believers to sing, and we all need to sing it. The world is singing a very different song, isn't it? 
Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about, uh, in one of his books, about a gang of hooligans uh, breaking into a department store overnight and changing all of the price tags. The next day, it's business as usual, and the customers come in and they find that they are really expen- the really expensive items are dirt cheap, and the cheap and nasty things are sold at large prices. And that's what the world has done with sexuality. It's turned everything on its head. On television, on, with books, the internet, and so on, this beautiful gift that God has given us and pictures Christ's relationship with his bride has become the object of smutty humor, sordid images, and licentious attitudes. Things have been turned on their heads, turned upside down, but this song sings the right song, the song as it should be sung about this most beautiful of God's gifts. We need to take our values from God's word, and so we need to be singing this song. And we need to see something far better than what the world is showing us. I don't know what uh, is going on with the lights, but um, I'm hoping they're not going like, to blow up or something. But don't worry. Fire drills in June. <laughs> not, not today. <laughs> um, anyway, I've totally lost where I was going now. Sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah, so we need to be singing this song, singing God's, uh, God's song about sexuality and all that it points to with our future in Christ. But we need to sing it with our eyes on Jesus. When we uh, look at this song, the, the man and the woman uh, are, are talking to each other, or rather, they're singing to each other. And when I'm doing the readings in the evening, I want to try uh, and, and show some of that as, as we try and uh, sing, not, I'm not going to literally sing, but read the song uh, as it's supposed to be read. But as Christians, we are singing this song with Jesus. We're singing it together as the bride of Christ and him being the husband. And truly we can say of him, I am my beloved and he is mine. But as I, uh, in conclusion, I just want to make uh, one uh, other point. And that's this. I, I realize that as we, we come to sing this song, we come in very different situations. Some uh, of us come as married, and very happily married. Some come uh, married, but having difficulties in marriage. Some come who will remain single and are very happy to be single. Some come who are single and who long to have this relationship. There are some who come as widows and have lost the marriage relationship that they had. And for some, this song can be very painful because of abuse or terrible experiences that some of you may have had. So how do we sing this song in the various situations that we come to sing it with? Well, if you are married, this song is not a sex manual where you'll get better tips or technique. This is a love poem where you are shown how to be a true lover. 
As married people sing this song, it ought to show us how to love one another. And as we apply this to Christ, how our marriages ought to picture that great relationship between Christ and his church. We should be arrows pointing to Jesus for our children and for each other as a church. But if you are not married, there is nothing wrong with the longing to be married. In fact, this book, as we read it, may make you long more for it. But our greatest longing and our great uh, desire and devotion and source of satisfaction is in Christ. And if that is so, if we're not married, we need to be prepared to live lives of purity until God provides a spouse. And if he doesn't provide a spouse, be always looking forward to that greater wedding that all marriage points to and all Christians will participate in. We should be striving for Christ now and looking forward to the day that's to come, whether we are married or not. And I want to say a final word to those who come to this song after much pain in this area. In taking us back to Eden and showing us a couple uh, that's striving for what sex and relationships should be, we see even in this song that it's not without the frustrations and struggles that come in this fallen world. And we need to acknowledge that for some of us, those frustrations and struggles have been very painful indeed. But God makes us new creations in Christ, and he enables us, as he changes us, both if we come into marriage after uh, uh, struggles and, and difficulties with sex, or within marriage we're having those struggles, he enables us through the Spirit to have marriages that are fulfilling and that do point to Jesus. But more than this, for those who have suffered in this way, Psalm 147 and verse 3 says this, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He will heal our hearts. And to every brother and sister to whom Song of Songs opens up difficult wounds from broken marriages, from abusive relationships, or lost loved ones, may you know this. We are all, as the church, the bride of Christ, people who have a husband in heaven who will one day heal every heart of every member, male and female, completely. And we can look forward to that day, that great wedding, when the bride will be with her beloved forever and ever. And all of our hearts will be healed All of the pain will be gone, and we will all be there with Jesus. No non-married people in heaven, because we'll all be married to Jesus. And it's going to be wonderful, and it's going to be forever. And so when this song gets hard, and it will be hard, it, it challenges each of us, we can look forward to the day when there's no frustration, and we'll be with our husband forever. Amen. Well, hopefully that's whetted your appetite. If you want to hear more of Song of Songs, um, come in the evenings.
Uh, but for now, we're going to respond by uh, singing. And we're going to sing of the, the future uh, day that we belong to. We belong to the day that's to come. And we sing in the chorus of how the bride belongs to Jesus. So let's uh, stand and let's respond by singing to our Saviour, our wonderful husband.